Hello, today I have with me Tony Garland, who writes as AJ Aberfoot. Hello, would you like to introduce yourself and what, tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, hello, hi. Uh, you've just introduced me. That's, that's exactly exactly who I am, Tony Garland, writing as AJ Aberford. Um, I'm a new author. I say a new author. I've got um, three books already published in a series, the fourth due out next week, actually. Um, I live in Malta. The books are based in Malta and feature a rather hapless detective who stumbles from one adventure to another called George Zamit. And he's gradually through um, no fault of his own working his way up the ranks in the Maltese police, encountering um, all the villains that you might expect to see in the Southern Mediterranean. And that would include terrorists, politicians, organised crime syndicates, smugglers. Um, what I basically do is to take the geopolitics of the Southern Mediterranean and the stories that you know you'll see in your newspapers. Um, and there's so much material. And the main thing which I try to do is having read lots and lots of books about disconsolate and happy you know, detectives or policemen who are usually divorced or alcoholics or have sort of a bit of love interest off and on. And I thought, well, you know, having read just one too many of those, I thought I'd try something different. And George is a family man. He's henpecked. Um, his daughter dominates him. He's not that successful at work. He has a domineering boss who controls him, gets him to do all sorts of terrible things. And he muddles through. And of course, he usually ends up as the hero and his reputation um, enhanced. So it's, it's comedic. It's... Um, a little bit of satire on sort of the politics of Malta, which is pretty amazing. Um, but there's thrills and there's guns and there's chases, there's adventure. And I try and mix it up. And that's what the series is about. Um, have you always wanted to write? Um, I've always wanted to be a creative. Uh, my background is I was, a, I was a lawyer for many, many years, uh, for too many years, actually. And I got very, very fed up with that. So I actually left in about 2005 and I started a brewery in Yorkshire, a Saltair Brewery. And that's been going, as I say, relative, relatively strongly. I say relatively strongly in these difficult times with COVID and cost of living, et cetera. Um, but I retired a few years ago, and came to Malta and having sorted my affairs out said, right, okay, I will try and put pen to paper. Um, and that was that was it. And the, the Zamit's, Zamit series was born. I worked with a very good editor who helped me very much um, sort myself out, get my tone of voice right, um, start to, I mean, gave me very harsh criticism, totally unfair in my view. But uh, she, she knocked me into shape fundamentally and the series developed. And now I feel quite confident writing in that series and her criticisms have become less and less as the series have progressed so yeah I mean I'm just about feeling confident enough to say yeah I think I'm a I'm an author now five five books in four published and one in production so I think I can call myself an author <laughs> after one book you're an author I have this argument all the time <laughs> <laughs> well it's, you know it's what, what when someone says what's your occupation I still put down retired <laughs> so. I know you're not a terrible, honestly. It's like my lifetime job is to reassure you all. 
Well, that's what somebody says. He says, take the compliments and live up to them, you know, because one day they're going to stop, you know, <laughs> make the most of it while you can. <laughs> um, did you always know that it was going to be sort of crime fiction when you did eventually write or did that just happen by accident? I mean, we'd all love to write the great big novel, you know, the great American novel, but um, I think you've got to take little steps. And part of the thing of writing in um, A.J. Amethyst's name is that if you want to, or if you feel able to kind of switch genres or do something else, then, 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 then you can do. But it seemed like the idea of bringing something to market to be commercially successful, it's pointless of trying to write a, a thousand page um, first person, you know, uh, sort, sort of novel, you know, that's, that, that's just not on. So part of the writing thing was to go through the whole process to write it, to try and get it published, to see what the market was like, and to meet people like yourselves and the people who were involved in the book world, because I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. And that's part of the journey. That's what, that's what interested me. So having put pen to paper, it's been as interesting to you know, feel your way around the book, the, the, you know, the book lover circuit, really, and who's involved and what's happening. And, and I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning. Um, but uh, so was, was I always interested in crime? It just seemed the natural place to start. That's and, of course, I was a lawyer for many years, yeah, so I did so know so a little bit about but not, but you know, it's, uh, I wasn't doing police procedural work, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and did you know that when you wrote that first book that it was going to be a series? Yes, I did. Um, I thought it, it's not really, it's a series in terms of the same characters and there's character development, but the, the stories themselves can be read as standalones. But obviously the deeper you get into writing six books or whatever, the the first half of the book seems to be about catching up what's happened to the previous books. So, you know, it's, uh, you've got to be careful with that and make sure that, um, you know, you're not just too busy filling in everybody's backstory and because uh, eventually it takes up the entire novel, you know. But yeah, I did, I did think I would develop it. And I thought commercially, you have more credibility if you've got four, five or six books out there um, in the series, rather than somebody picking up a standalone by a first time author uh, with no reviews, saying what's this, you know. But if they see, well, the guy's done two, three, or four, um, maybe there, there are some legs to it. So maybe I'll have a go and read it. That was that. That was the um, motivation for doing doing the series. Um, when you sat down to write book one, was it the idea that came first or the character? It was probably the character. Um, I wanted to write something around migrant smuggling. Um, because Malta is right in the line of it. Uh, and even today, there's um, people adrift in boats, you know, within the, the area that Malta uh, is supposed to provide security for. Uh, Maltese basically don't take migrants. You know, they push them back. Um, they make Swella and look like, you know, the guardian angel. They're, they're, they're hard, hard people. Um, the Italians reluctantly take people in. But the numbers are down. I mean, at one point in the 2014-2015, they had this um, Mare Nostrum uh, philosophy, which was basically welcoming migrants in. And the Italians would be sweeping people up, you know, just outside of Libyan territorial waters and bringing them into Italy and resettling them. And then there's a change of government in Italy. And it's, they said, forget it. <laughs> no, it's, it's not on. But so I wanted to do something about migrant smuggling. Uh, teamed it up with 
oil smuggling. Uh, Malta had a bit of a reputation for um, taking embargoed oil and outside of territorial waters, shifting it between tankers and Russians buy a lot of it. And it's, it's, it's a scandal, but it goes on. So putting those two things together with a maritime feel and sticking good old George they meet into the middle of it, who can't swim, um, who's <laughs> never been off the island before, and sending him to Libya seemed like a bit of a bit of a good fun thing to do. Well, for us, not for George. <laughs> um, if you were to take any of your characters out for a meal, who would you choose, and what would you ask them? Well, there's an organised crime syndicate underlying all of this, um, of course, based, based in Milan, an old established family um, who've been around since God knows when, Middle Ages probably, almost like the Medici's. If you imagine the Medici family migrating to the present age and it's headed up by an, a beautiful but evil woman called Natasha Bonici, who um, runs the crime syndicate, who's intelligent, gorgeous, um, but with a real black heart. And I think she would make a great guest. Uh, I'd certainly have to stay on the right side of her. But she, I think she would, she, she would be the one. And as the series develops, she has arrived back in Moulton. Gradually, she's inveigled herself into the family and through uh, devious means, including a variety of murders, has made her way to the top of, uh, without that's a spoiler, of course, I shouldn't be saying things like that. But she's made her way to the top of this particular organisation. Um, and then it's really about George pursuing her through the books. George is aware of her. Uh, he's compromised by her, her, his bosses in her pocket. But gradually he grains courage and fortitude in, in the later books. He has to stand up to her. So that's, it's, it's, it's an interesting thread, the way that, that character's developed. And it's sort of, it's a case I always start with a rough plot. I know where I'm going with it. But the characters then take over. And they, you know, the books tend to kind of write themselves. And I think, oh, well, we ended up here. That's, this is this is different. Um, but that's very much my process. Just I'm not a planner, uh, inspirationalist, or you know, whatever you whatever the word is. But um, there's plenty of interesting characters, and I let them run their course, and they tell me what they want to do, which is all part 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 of the fun, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I've just said it's you know, I'm just disorganized. But um, it seems to work for me. Yeah, that's it. Everyone's got their own way, haven't they? So it's fine. Um, Do you have to do a lot of research? I do. I do an awful lot of research. Uh, I write about things I know nothing about, you know, international terrorism, gun running and things like this. And it's amazing what you can find. The first book was set, big scenes were set in Libya. Uh, I mean, I've been to North Africa. Libya is 200 kilometres away from Malta. So it's not far. Um, but uh, it's a very, and I think the sort of the geography and the geology are fairly fairly similar. But Google Earth and Google Maps spent a lot of time on Google Earth and Google Maps, just working out where all the refineries were, where you know, Tripoli was, vis-a-vis other parts of the location that have used, whether there was a sandy beach or whether there wasn't. And I did read one book where somebody tries to land a plane. Uh, on a Maltese beach and they wait for the tide to go down and this big sandy strip is revealed. And of course, the uh, Mediterranean is not tidal. So, you know, there's there's a lot of traps you can fall into like that. So it's I, I do a lot of research on the, the scenes and the locations. Um, um, 
and also combing the newspapers for threads and for plots and for sort of um, going Al Jazeera, a lot of the North African stuff to get the the names and the feel for what's actually happening. Al Jazeera is you know a great source. So if you if you're writing about the Middle East and that sort of area of the Eastern Mediterranean Basin. So, yeah, it's uh, it all sounds a bit heavy, but um, I think it's important to get the details right. And if you don't, someone will, someone will tell you. Oh, yes. As crime fiction readers, we know our stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, is there any bit of research you've done that's particularly stood out as memorable or fascinating? Um. I'm trying to think. I mean, this I can get so boring about this stuff. So you have to you 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 have to check me if I do. At some point, there's a, a nuclear warhead which the Americans lose from their base in Turkey, and just working out and just understanding the presence of the Americans in Turkey and what goes on in the air bases, and they have six. I think it's eighty nuclear warheads there, which they don't move. The Turks want rid of them because politically they don't like the idea of American nuclear weapons being on their soil. The Americans daren't move them because of the risk of terrorist activity or the fact that there may be an accident. So these things are stuck there. And politically, it's a big issue, but you never hear about it. So, of course, one goes does go missing, and George is sent on the trail of this particular warhead. And, you know, it's what does a warhead look like and how big is it? And if it goes off, what would happen? You know, what is destructive range? Think you know, th these things. And information is all there, right the way down to how it's manufactured and who the suppliers of the various components are. So, yeah, so I went far too deep down that rabbit hole. But uh, that, that was that was good for me. I did enjoy that. It sounds fascinating, actually. I must have been terrifying, but fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you give George any quirks or habits in the first book that you've regretted later on? <laughs> Oh, yeah, interesting. Not really. Um, he eats too much. He's always, I think that's part of his charm. He's always got bits of food secreted about his body, you know, sort of a half a croissant in a pocket. Or at times of stress or conflict, he'll always dip into his pocket to find out if there's something he can nibble on. That's, that's one of his quirks. Um, I don't think I actually regret that, but uh, it does make life a little bit difficult sometimes. <laughs> So whenever he goes anywhere, he sort of always has to be prepared for food. He ended up in a refugee camp in Syria. Um, and he was saying things like, I'm starving. And people were saying to him, you can't say that here. And then he was always <laughs> complaining about the food and this sort of thing. So um, but that's that's quite funny. It's just one of his amusing quirks. But um, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, he's, he's, he's a lovable character. And the, the secret has been trying to keep his charm but trying to develop him across the series. So he becomes a little bit more forceful, a little bit more decisive, a little less sort of terrified of everything that sort of comes at him, <laughs> uh, but retains that comedic kind of um, element, which which, which, I, which I hope I managed to do. That, that's the aim anyway. Um, how did your deal with Hobbits come about? <laughs> I was introduced by my editor. So I worked with Lynn Curtis. Uh, I did the rounds for agents, and I thought by the time this happens, I'm going to be dead. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I thought, I, I can't go through it. But I realised that getting agents was the, the first step, and then obviously the agent can have a look at the book and give you their two penneth worth, so you're going to have to do some work on it. Then the agent has to go out and try and get you a 
publisher. And then the publisher has to go out and try and sell a book into a bookshop. And then it depends how much support you actually get from that publisher. And I started to read stories about people who have been published by the big names. And they sell a dozen books a year or something, you know. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be on that front table, you know, alongside Richard Osman. You know, it's, it doesn't work like that. So the more I thought about it, the more I thought I'll go self-published. Um, and I did go quite a long way down the line to become self-published. I designed the covers. I worked with the cover designers to get that done. Obviously, Lynn had been involved. She'd edited the books and copy-edited two of them. So I wanted a batch of three. So as far as the publisher was concerned, like a small independent like Hobeck, I was probably quite an attractive proposition because some of the work had been done, you know. Um, but they, they read it and they liked it. And they gave me a ring. Or like, well, they sent me an email. I was in the supermarket. I had tears in my eyes. I was thrilled, you know. So it was great. And they are lovely people. Uh, it's just Adrian, Rebecca. Uh, I don't know whether you know them, but I mean, they are they're fantastic. You know them. They're fantastic. Yes. Um, and it's it, it's an ongoing dialogue, you know. They work very hard, and whether it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, you send an email and get a reply straight back. And it's not the sort of relationship you would have if you were with the big, the big publishers. So it's, you know, it's got its pros and cons. And, you know, it's, I don't know what you would expect by way of marketing support in these big agencies, you know, in the, in the big publishers. But um, I think... It's effort and it's attention and it's support. I think it's more than compensated for any loss of, you know, access to the um, the bricks and mortar side of the business, you know, because they're very much online and they're very much, you know, digital publishers as opposed to getting books, getting deals with Waterstones and that sort of thing. So you're not going to get that from a small independent, but you are going to get a lot more support. And if you don't have an agent, then you have to rely on, other voices, you know, to tell you what's good and what isn't, where you're, you know, where you're going wrong, and to give you that kind of feedback. In particular, as a new author, that's that's very important. As I say, I'm full marks to you know my editor Lynn Curtis, who you know, very experienced, and I was very very lucky to just 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 find her, and she's great. You know, she's sort of um, she's a tough nut, uh, doesn't sort of hesitate in telling me <laughs> what's what. But hopefully, you know, the, the end product has been through several iterations. And she's trusted by Adrian and Rebecca at Holbeck. So they don't have to go through the, the whole um, you know, sort of editorial side of things, which makes life more efficient and smoother for all concerned. So it's a, it's a smoother path uh, with, with, with Holbeck and, and with Lynn Curtis, which I think everyone appreciates. And obviously, I had a cheaper path to get a book from the desk you know, to the to the Amazon front page or whatever. Yeah, um, I've met Adrian and Rep. Well, we spent the first Harrogate that we both went to together. We right. were both well, all three of us were as nervous as each other, which was quite amusing. Um, <laughs> and then the next one, we were all more confident, so we went off. But um, I've watched him grow um, in confidence as well, um, which is awesome. You know, I, and I love seeing him do yeah. well. So yeah. I've got a lot of time for both of them. I think they're amazing. They are. They've got a great brand. <laughs> and I mean, I listen to the uh, the Hobcast, their weekly podcast. And I mean, not, not sort of as it comes out, sometimes I'll back them up, but uh, I'll always uh, I'll always have a dig in. And, you know, they're great the way they've got the industry views and the, the background of what's going on. And very honest and upfront people about, you know, how they're responding to changes in the industry and what their views are. Um, you know, it's... Uh, 
yeah, great people. Um, very pleased to be part of their stable. I was uh, interviewed on their podcast quite near the beginning, I think. <laughs> oh, well, I've got 110 out now, so I haven't done 110 yet. I have to go back and have a look, Donna, and see, what, see, 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 see what's said. <laughs> go yeah. back to the beginning. God, I can't remember either. It was ages ago. I think it was after I had a first Harrogate, actually. So it was quite a while ago, yeah. Yeah. God, even I don't remember. Oh, I'll I'm check very, it out. I'm very friendly with Malcolm Hollandrake and Alison Morgan as well. So, yeah. I'm, right. Yeah. Um, there That's was... a problem. Living in Malta, you don't get a chance to go to the festivals and meet people face to face. So I've had a few email chats with people. But um, it's... Uh, and I've read, I mean, have a look on the Kindle, I'm... I'm gradually working my way through the Hobeck um, catalogue. So um, I get to know them through their books rather than face-to-face. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few now, actually. They've got loads of books out, haven't they? <laughs> well, I think it's about, I don't know, I get the feelings about 30 sort of authors, but they've all got three or four out, so it must be a, a fair few. I've done some really, some really good writers, some really good books. Yeah, oh, they haven't produced a bad book because I've read, I usually do the book tours, so I've read Beautiful, most of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you not consider coming back over to do any of the festivals? Well, I think it's you know, it's probably imposter syndrome. You know, it's um, I get found out. But um... <laughs> I'll tell you off. I will tell you. I will message you and tell you off as well about imposter <laughs> syndrome. Do you know like how many? Even Stephen King has imposter syndrome. Really? So yeah. you wouldn't be any more out of place than anyone else, and I will tell you this. Until... <laughs> Well, I, 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 I might do. I think it would once I once, once I get the series out there, and you know, I, I feel established. As I say, I still feel as though I'm taking. You I'm don't taking need ba- to be established. <laughs> You'd be fine. Be nice to me. I'm just taking baby steps. <laughs> you can't afford to take baby steps. I didn't take baby steps. I just went for it. <laughs> so I will tell no, everyone else. I will tell you off. I am. No oh dear, oh dear, I shouldn't have done Ask this. Ask Adrian. I, I, Rebecca, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I knew this podcast was a mistake. <laughs> and yet you're still here, so... I'm still here, yes, there we go. <laughs> ask ask Malcolm if I'll tell people off, and I will I will nag. I'm sure. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, Harrogate's the one, isn't it? Because, I mean, obviously yes. my house is in um, in Bradford, so it's only about 10 miles away. So I really I have no, excu- no excuse I, for that. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, you have no excuse. Okay, you've got me. Okay, good. And then you can meet Adrian and Rebecca and Malcolm and Ali and everyone else. Good, that would be, oh, be nice, actually. Yeah. And Lynn, Lynn's the loveliest human ever. Lynn Aversha. Right. Um, I'm just trying to think. Was Lynn the one, there was somebody who was over here in Malta recently. We were trying to meet up and we never quite made it for one reason or another. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to do that. Okay, I'll keep asking. Right. Okay. My my ears are open. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> um, out of all the books you've written so far, what's been one of the most fun scenes or chapters that you've written? Most fun scenes or chapters. Um, quite often, I'll put in a little sort of I don't know a little sort of an episode, um, which is part of the narrative, but which is almost sort of self-contained and. There's one of them in the middle of Milan where Natasha, the, um, the evil lady, is going through her, through, her, through her steps, working her way up through the hierarchy of the family and taking various people out. And there's a description of a, of a car bomb. And it sounds a bit gruesome, a bit horrid. 
But um, I read quite a lot around what the Red Brigade were up to in the 70s. Um, this was the Italian sort of communists. Um, they kidnapped, there's a famous industrialist that kidnapped, I think it was Aldo Moro. I think it might have been Aldo Moro. But anyway, I read around, quite a lot around that. I got quite a lot of detail about how the car bomb actually worked. Um, and it was just a description of it. And I, I know Milan and I sort of visualised this street down the side of you know, La Scala, the opera house and the various traffic lights. And when the actual bomb went off, which killed uh, Aldemora, there was a Moroccan flower seller who happened to be sitting nearby and he was actually killed by the, by the bomb. So I just basically described the car driving down there and a flower seller on one side of the road, the car actually then exploding the flower cellar being killed and the glass shattering and coming down the windows falling out. And that was just end of the end of the end of the chapter and only went with the story, but it was just a quite a nice little descriptive piece set in a district of Milan, which I knew, which I thought worked quite well. So there was a there's a few things like that which I did, which which give me pleasure. I don't know whether anybody else enjoys it, but I do. <laughs> um do you hide any secret jokes, messages or Easter eggs in your books? <laughs> Um, don't you know? Maybe I should start. Um, you're right. Maybe I should start. It's a bit late though. I'm. I've done books. I've done five, and then I've got book six lurking. No, I, I, I don't. I don't. No, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to think. I mean, there are quite a lot of secrets and codes, and particularly going back to the medieval-based crime syndicate and insignias and you know, I quite like the you know, the uh, the old ancient things and signposts and, you know, that, that sort of stuff uh, I do like that but no I don't hide easter eggs fair enough mm-hmm. um when you when you do your own edits what's your most overused word or phrase or what does your editor tell you off for she tells me off for just very ordinary, non-descriptive adjectives, like it was a big tree, it was a large tree, it was a small room. Describe <laughs> the room, describe the tree. You can't say it was enormous, just say how big it was. It's a tree, everybody knows it's big. You know, it's, <laughs> so she, she she does quite a lot of that. And um, I think, I guess the one that, that's the one that sort of sticks out most. Uh, and so usually when I'm tired and you get lazy, you know, you can't, you know, you should describe the damn tree, but uh, you've just described <laughs> a dozen trees. This is just a tree. It's, a, it's an enormous tree. Just, you know, she will say, just say someone's sitting underneath it or three people are sitting underneath it. Don't just say it's enormous. So, no, I think that's, that's, that's what I'm watching out for. And the other thing was she also, you know, you say, very common thing, very few people describe smells. And she's always saying, what does, it, what does it smell like? Describe the smell. You know, it's uh, people describe visually what it looks like, but if you actually put a smell into the description, it gives a lot more atmosphere. So if you're sitting by the beach, you know, it's uh, you can describe the sea, but you know, you might describe the sort of you know the, the iodine smell of the salt or the you know the the mustiness of it or the you know the acrid seaweed or whatever. You know, you can actually put a lot of colouring by using using scent, which is a kind of a note to self. You know, I always. <laughs> I always have, have that handy when I'm writing. Yeah. yeah, that's true, actually. Especially in C, you can describe quite well, I would imagine. Um, well, 
Well, living in Malta, you can, yeah, you're surrounded yeah. by it. <laughs> Bedfordshire is, uh, I think, one of I'm... the only doubly landlocked counties. So we had to go through two counties to get to the sea. Well, that's a good club fact. I remember that. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why that sticks in my head, but there we are. Now you've learned something today as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Any author, dead or alive? Well, I would. I had the misfortune when I was at school. Um, I did A-level English. and I, I loved English, and it should be my best story. And I was coerced into going into an experimental A-level stream, which did medieval English. And it was it was horrid. I got a D in English. I mean, that I sure had an A in English. It was, it was no doubt about it. You know, give me you know, D.H. Lawrence or you know, any of the sort of the more contemporary sort of stuff. You know, I, I'd eat it for breakfast. But, you know, it was Thomas Brown, Relico de Medici, you know, yeah, the... Spencer and the Green Gawain and the Green Knight, metaphysical poets, all in all in old English language. It was grim. It was grim. There was about six. I just gave up. I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. But uh, I loved Chaucer. I thought Chaucer was fabulous. I thought you know the humour, the sort of um, intelligence. I thought the uh, his take on contemporary life at the time was just was wonderful. So I think I think as long as he spoke modern contemporary English. That would be a prerequisite of it, but um, I do like it. And of course, I mean, Stephen King would be fantastic. I think Stephen King is just most natural, naturally gifted storyteller. And the way he can just twist a little tail around and make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, I find absolutely wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many. It's, um, and I've just read the... the Kindle. Elizabeth Mantel? Uh, sorry, not Mantel, it's Hilary Mantel. I mean, Hilary Mantel, I, mean, I, could, I could like a chat with her if she would, she would come back from beyond and, and, and visit. Her work's absolutely fabulous. I was like a kid with Harry Potter waiting for the next, you know, um, uh, Wolf Hall episode, uh, book to come out. Um, and I read some of her stuff, which was based in the Middle East, where I think it must have been a very early novel, when she was, um, her husband was, I think, uh, Shell Oil executive. And she actually went wow. to Saudi and she spent some time uh, as a landlock, house, housebound wife in Saudi. And she wrote a book called Murder on Gazra, Hazra, or I can't say it in the Arabic, Howdest Street, I think it is. And it's a story about a, a British expat who, lives in a house and she's obviously semi-autobiographical, she's all senseless and some funny goings on across the hall and it involves the murder of a neighbour and it's just a very simple kind of crime story and you think that she went on to do something like that, to do something like the Wolf Hall trilogy. Like it, it, you know, it shows us hope for us all because that's a very, very simple story to go on to do something as wonderful as that trilogy and I would love to know what that journey was. You know, so that that would be a great conversation to have. Um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, just for a visit, where would you like to go to? See, I always 
finds it a trick question because it always comes down to a question of dentistry. You know, the idea of living in the Middle Ages where there's no dentist, I, oh, I would just find absolutely horrendous. Well, you'd just be um, popping in for a day, so you wouldn't have to worry. Yeah, or, or a week or whatever. So you wouldn't have I to think, worry about the horrendous lack of antibiotics. Uh, and, I know, mean, that's like that. Or the, dis- the disgusting sort of corners in Hampton Court and things like that. I think Elizabethan times, who I think would be would be pr- pretty fantastic. I mean, the sheer the adventure and the um, the intrigue, and you know, you run the risk of getting executed and burnt alive or whatever. But um, uh, I do find Elizabethan times quite fascinating, uh, and, and the times of you know the religious kind of conflict in the. In late sort of late 16th, early 17th century, you know, it's uh, very, 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 very sort of, yeah, very, very interesting and great architecture. Uh, and I'd, I'd have to be at the top of the tree, you know, sitting there with the, the swans on the table. I wouldn't want to be down in the filth in the street or anything like that. Please, no. But uh, yeah, interesting characters, politics, Machiavellians carrying on. So, yes, that would be interesting. Um, what's been your absolute highlight so far of your author journey from book one when you became an author, not book four? <laughs> yeah, book, from book one, right, okay. Um, I mean, one of the highlights, obviously, was getting the email from Adrian and Rebecca. That that, that was that was great. And when it went to Malta, um, they were successful in selling a 1,000 copies into a distributor in Malta. So... Malta has one book distributor, which makes life easy, and they have like 20 or 30 shops. So everywhere I go, I see my book on the shelf. And if you go into Malta International Airport, it was number two bestseller for weeks. So I always used to go and stand underneath it and do a selfie. Uh, <laughs> knowing it wouldn't last long, then one day I went in, it was number seven, and I was mortified. <laughs> then it fell to number 11. I hadn't been back in for a while, so I tried to think where it is now. But... Uh, We'll see. But no, we're going into Malta International Airport, seeing it on the shelf was a big, was a big deal. That's the same. Um, who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, Jenny Agutter. Railway children. Oh, if I could have her as an elder sister, I would have been made up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I still quite like her in sort of um, call the midwife, you know, she's, uh, she's got that with age, I think. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure I'd go out with a nun. No, yeah, yeah. Well, she did leave it, didn't she? And then went on and done oh. something else, didn't she? So, oh, good for her. I didn't, yeah. didn't realize that. Oh, ah, yeah, you've, you've got to watch it all. <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Um, if I was to ask your nearest and dearest what your most annoying habits are, what would they say? Oh, leaving wardrobe doors open, um, <laughs> piles of clothes everywhere. I, I know them all too well. I think, I think that's. <laughs> That's the main thing. I always get up first. Uh, she said, when I wake up, I just hate looking out and just seeing your wardrobe door open. You know, such a simple thing to do, but uh, I don't do it deliberately, honestly. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, that would drive me insane as well. I have to say that. Was, <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm no. sorry. I'm with you. <laughs> that, was a, that was a really easy one. Did you, you saw how easily I answered that. I know. That was like, there on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> must be true. Um, what do you like to do when you're not writing? Well, not writing, um, eat. Uh, I love cooking and food and stuff. Uh, I love shopping and the cooking. And because we kind of 
uh, I write in the mornings. I've got a quite good regime. I sort of start fairly early, 39, and I go through till about 12, 12.30. Uh, but I tend to I tend to walk out and go to the shops. We live near lots of good shops, buy stuff for lunch and you know, get stretch my legs, come back. Then in the afternoons, I might a mountain bike, a cycle. Um, so I enjoy doing that. Uh, obviously, there's chores and admin and stuff which have to be done in the afternoons. And in the summer, it can be 35 plus. So it, it's hot. Um, I'll swim because we live 200 yards from the water. So that, that's great. I do something every day exercise-wise. Then in the evenings when it gets to six, I walk to a, a supermarket, which is about a mile away. Uh, I buy a bottle of wine, <laughs> um, food for the dinner, come back, I do podcasts, um, cook. Uh, then by that time, we eat late, um, Mediterranean. And then probably 10 o'clock, something on Netflix. And that, that, that's it. I'm usually in bed by 12. So um, and I, I, have a, I have a good seven hours sleep. So that usually is my day, unless of course we have visitors. And living in Malta, you know, we we get visitors, um, and I love them all. But when everybody comes, you see, they're on holiday, so it's it's party time, you know. And it's <laughs> they're at the hands are in the fridge. Have a beer, Tony. So it's only ten o'clock. <laughs> Let's have a beer, you know. And so that tends to disrupt things. Um, <laughs> Uh, it doesn't sound like you mind too much. No, it, I did get stopped by the police a couple of years ago um, in the the airport, accusing me of being an unlicensed taxi driver on the basis I'd been there so many times in the, in the preceding <laughs> week doing pickups and drop-offs. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I think when we first came across to Malta, there were a lot of visitors, a lot. Now, I kind of made it known it was sort of you know we're happy with like one one week in, in the summer one week in four so we have one family a week you know for a week and they give us the rest of the month off then we'll do another one but of course if it's sons and daughters and grandchildren they just arrive you know and you can't you can't turn them away really <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think i have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything Preston, I haven't asked you that you want to. Oh, tell it's us. been great. It's been great. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And obviously, we're going to meet up in Harrogate, aren't we? Yes. I will literally send you a message every week and then I'll go daily if I have to. And if I have well, to, I'll go hourly. I'm not even joking. Oh, oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> I've, I have nothing else to do. It's fine. No, no, well, you've been great. Right. Good. Okay. It's been fantastic. So, thank you so much for uh, setting it up and having a chat. I've really enjoyed it. You're very welcome. Do you have any books to hand that you can show off? Yes, I do. Mm, there we go. Marvellous. So everyone knows what they're going to go buy. These are waiting to be signed for somebody. So this is Bodies in the Water. You'll see that's the, that's the letter in the background. And that is the Grand Harbour uh, with the, the migrant book. There's a little icon. Uh, this is the second one. This is um, a bullet in the sand. And I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about a reworking of this. I think it's a little macho. But um, it's not really a macho sort of men's adventure book in its entirety. But it just appears to be. So I'm not 100% keen on that one. Um, and this one is The Hawk. Hawk at the Crossroads. 
And anyone who's been to Istanbul will recognize that. And the hawk is a Turkish fixer. Um, and that's what he calls himself. And he basically, well, he's a, he's a bad guy, makes George's life most, most uncomfortable. And he teams up with Natasha. So um, that's great. And it's all about the Bosphorus and um, Turkish and the Greek head-to-head about resources and oil and more southern Mediterranean stuff. And if anyone would like to find out more about you, where could they do so? Um, I have a website, um, which is just ajelford.com, and all the details are on there. And the one thing I have to do is to um, plug book form, which is now available on pre-order, and it is actually available on 15th of March um, on Amazon or through Adrian Rebecca directly at Holbeck Books. And I will post in my group on the day when it's released anyway, so I'm You're a wonderful one. You're marvellous. Thank you very much indeed. You do. Thank you, and thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Cheers, Donna.